welcome to our midweek Bible study, and we'll be online for at least this week, and pay attention, we might be back in person on May, was that, May 5th, um, or May 12th, so one of those two Wednesdays, we will be back in person, uh, in, in person here at, at the church. Um, you're still welcome, this will still be uh, streamed out there. Uh, and but I would encourage you if you're able, if you live around in Elgin, to to come and join us and um, as we gather for worship. And this will be on Wednesday nights. It'll be much more of a worship service and with prayer uh, together included. But as we continue with our series through the Ten Commandments here on Wednesdays, Wednesdays we are going to shift from what's called the first table of the Ten Commandments to the second table. The first table governs or instructs us how to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so ultimately the first table, um, as it's called, not tablet, it's not helpful to think about when Moses comes down from the mountain, right? He receives these words from God, directly from God, written directly from God by the finger of God. Uh, He receives these from God. And he comes down with two tablets. And it's easy to think that uh, on the first tablet you have the commandments 1 through 4. Uh, and on the second tablet you have commandments 5 through 10. And that's not what I'm meaning when I say the first table and second table. In all likelihood, all of the uh, commandments were were written on both uh, tablets so that you had duplicate copies. Uh, you get this idea from... Uh, the the ancient Near East covenants that were made between governments, between kings, and between greater kings and lesser kings, that there would be duplicate statements of the covenant that were written, and one would be for uh, the one and one king, and one would be for the other king. And in this regard, there's probably a copy that's meant to reside in one place in the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, or both of them, and both of them actually are there. Uh, but but one is for representing God's side, and one is representing the people of Israel's side. So when I mean the first and second table, I mean that the first table, commandments one through four, are intended to instruct and to shape our worship. You know, don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. All of these are directing our relationship with God, and ultimately should provide a a how-to as we think about both their narrow application and their broad application. And we're going to apply that picture, that template, to the fifth commandment today, the narrow application, but also the broad application that instructs our worship. Now, when we shift into commandment five, or the fifth commandment, we're shifting into the second table. And the second table instructs us about how to love our neighbor, so that commandments 5 through 10 are all about how we interact with one another. Uh, we interact in our families, we interact with our neighbors, we interact with our spouses, we interact with humanity. That all of these things are meant to teach us how what it means to love our neighbor. And this is so important. Uh, obviously, it's the moral law of God. This is, it's a, this is binding, it is standing, it is for all people in all places and all times that this is how we ought to love and and I, this isn't the point of our time together here, but in our culture, we are told so much about love. We, we talk so much about love, and that's good. Love is, love is awesome. 
But we do not get to supply the meaning of it. Uh, love is not mere sentiment, and it's not mere emotion, and it is not merely subjective, as though I get to both use the term and define the term according to my standards. Love is standardized by God, because God is love. Not that love is God. God is not standardized by love. Love is standardized by God, and God instructs us what it means to love what it means to love him, and what it means to love our neighbor. And so what God calls love is what actually is love. And this is how we ought to love God in worship, and this is how we ought to love our neighbors in relationships, and in community, and in family, and society. And that this becomes uh, foundational, not just for, um, obviously, the love of neighbor that Jesus talks about, but this becomes foundational for expressing our love of God in practical ways, in everyday ways, so that the first table, love of God, worship of God, cannot be divorced from the second table, love of neighbor. Uh, but the love of God is necessarily theological. It is necessarily doctrinal. It carries doctrinal commitments. You shall have no other gods before me. You don't make images, right? You don't take the Lord's name. Those are, they have theological underpinnings. Um, but too often, we want to divorce the two, saying, you do what you like with God. This is how we're going to love our neighbor, right? We need to focus on loving our neighbor. We need to focus on pursuing justice. We need to focus on uh, rescuing the unborn and, and saving our marriages and educating our kids, whatever it is, that these are all good Nothing bad that I'm, that I'm putting before you. But if we divorce the second table from the first table, the love of our neighbor from the love of God, then we're not going to be loving our neighbor as worship towards God, as as glorifying God. And ultimately, it's not going to have the bedrock of theological doctrinal commitment that is necessary to uh, bring it into actuality. So we're in the fifth commandment. And this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And let me read it for us, and I'll pray. And then we'll, we'll put, just spend a little bit of time here. Um, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment and this word. We pray that you would open up our eyes and open up our minds and soften our hearts, that you might... Teach us, instruct us, and shape us to love you, love our neighbors, that we might reflect your greatness and your glory. I pray for those who might hear this, those who might see this, uh, that you would encourage them to pursue Jesus and to live life for him. And I pray this in his name. Amen. There's a lot of different ways that we could approach this um, th this commandment of honoring your parents, honor your father and your mother. Uh, and maybe you grew up in a home where this was uh, often reminded, given to you as a reminder that, that God says, honor your father and your mother. Uh, and it's, you know, in the moment where you as a child are not necessarily being so uh, honor giving, uh, you might have been reminded that God tells us to honor our parents. Um, but that would be, and I think when I'm talking about the broad and the narrow, right, the narrow application of this is very, very clear that we are called to honor our parents. Now, what does that mean? 
to honor your parents is to respect them, to obey them, to follow them, uh, and to to operate under their um, under their uh, authority. Now, authority is something that we, uh, as a culture, typically right now have a disdain for. Uh, that we have a disdain for authority, that anyone would have authority over us other than authorities that would simply affirm our own self-authority. But the narrow application of this is that within the home, within the family, there is a um, an authority structure set up by God. Uh, and really there's an authority structure set up in the home beginning with man, wife, husband, wife, children. Uh, now, to, to kind of parse all of that out would take some time, and that's not the point of this commandment. Uh, but there is an authority, broadly speaking, of parents, husband, wife, and children. That the authority of the parents provides the context in which children are formed, educated, led to in spiritual matters, led in educational matters, uh, taught to how, how they will eventually be, uh, be, be husbands, fathers, mothers, wives themselves. Those happen within the context of the authority structure of the home. That there is an authority in the home, that it is not egalitarian in the sense that everyone in the home has equal authority. Everyone in the home has equal value, dignity as image bearers of God, but there is an authority structure, right? And you know this, if you're a, if you're a husband or a wife with children, even if you're a husband and wife without children, I hope that you have some idea of this, that you grew up uh, uh, with a, an authority structure in place where uh, husband and wife, father and mother are making decisions that necessarily impact and influence the children. And the way that, that those things are done in a way that is honoring God for the parents, by the parents, is that they operate in a way, they exercise their authority in a way that is seeking the good and the best for their children. Now, the, the good and the best ought to be determined by God as he reveals his will and his word, but you operate in that authority uh, as a father or as a mother. You operate within that authority for the good of the children. Now, children ought to receive what God is saying here, is that the authority of our parents should be received and honored. Yet, if you have children, or even as you were once a child, you know that authority within the home is not always received so wholeheartedly. Uh, that authority in the home is often, right, the authority children are often pushing their parents, disobeying their parents, talking back to their parents, uh, and just generally trying to disregard the authority of their parents. And the, the, the fact that the first table, I mean, excuse me, the first commandment of the second table, that it begins with the context of the, of the home, it shows the importance of the family. Uh, I once heard a pastor say foolishly, that nowhere in the Bible does it talk about the, uh, and I forgot his language, but does it talk about the nuclear fa family as being so important? Uh, and I think to, to say something as silly as that, one has to disregard the Ten Commandments. Because at the very heart of the Ten Commandments, at the very first of the second table of instructing us how to love our neighbors, is this instruction about the nuclear family father and mother honor your your father and your mother that you have a father and a mother that are different than my father and mother unless my sister's watching if so hey sister i love you uh 
but that your father and your mother are different than my father and my mother, uh, and that your call to honor them is distinct from my call to honor them as simply human beings. That I honor my father and my mother by listening to, to them, respecting them, obeying them so much as I'm able. Now that's changed as I've grown and moved out of the home and I'm a grown man, but I have not outgrown my responsibility to, uh, to respect and to honor my father and my mother. Now when they're and, and the, we're going to talk about some, I won't say exemptions, but maybe some complications. But the narrow application of this is that children ought to listen to their parents, ought to obey their parents. And the fact that this is, is at the very beginning of the second table shows us that this is actually, this, this intra-home relationship, the health of the family uh, is actually foundational to all of society. And let me maybe help unpack that. That the health of the family, where um, father and mother, right, there, there, there is no other, there's no other leeway given here. They're in the home, there is a father, there ought to be, there a father and there ought to be a mother. There ought to be a male leading and a wife submitting and leading. Uh, that those things ought to be in the home. Those people should be in the home. That that's the beginning of a family. Man marries wife. Uh, there's no other. Uh, there's no spectrum here. There are no other options given. That that's that. This is God's family design as male and female, husband and wife, having children as God gives them ability. That this is the the if you will the nuclear family. Uh, this sphere of authority is the very beginning of all other spheres of authority. So that this sphere of authority, right, family, uh, out of it grows the sphere of authority, which is the church or the covenant community. Out of the sphere of the, the authority, sphere of the family grows the, the, the sphere of the state or the government that or society, culture, that those things grow out of this sphere right and and god sees that on purpose he makes that so on purpose that the the table the second table of how do we love our neighbor begins with uh operate in the family with honoring submitting obeying love children and that to buck against the authority of our parents uh, which universally happens is actually uh, we now it's developmentally appropriate and it's kids are developing and they're growing and they're learning and all those sorts of things and I, I'm not negating all of that uh, but as children grow and as rebellion grows uh, potentially grows in them it is actually um, s parallels the rebellion of our first parents so that it is actually the, the evidence of the fall Right, Adam and Eve rebelling against their father God, our children rebelling against their fathers and their mothers, as as we were prone to do, uh, and so the command laid out for children is that um, you're actually subverting your own joy, you're actually subverting your own health and vitality and flourishing in the future when you rebel against parents. You're, you're, you think you're pursuing the best life. You think you're pursuing your own joy, but you're actually pursuing your own 
your own damage, right? You're you're actually damaging yourself. You're actually wounding yourself. Um, and this actually, this narrow application in the home, uh, it shows up in some of Paul's lists of sins. The Apostle Paul, I believe in Romans, it talks about those who strike their father and their mother, uh, those who would rebel against them, those who would who would lift up hand and and um and be physical with them. But I think you could even apply that more broadly. Uh, to those who rebel against them in a way that they refuse to honor the authority placed over them by God. Um, and it is a is a devastating sin. The rebellion against parents is a devastating sin. It's one that is popularized in our culture. It's popularized in movies. It's cult popularized in music. It's popularized everywhere that uh, in Disney movies, right, that you ought to rebel against your parents. Um now, and 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 that I'm, this is totally abstracted from potentially your your context, but at the at the most basic level, most basic pieces, rebellion against parents is a devastating sin, and it is anti-love. It is contrary to true love, and it is devastating to true life. Uh, that we ought to obey and listen to our parents, especially in a particular way until we grow up and move out of their home. That, like I said earlier, that doesn't mean we, we do not, we're not able to, to, to continue to honor them, but our honoring and obedience to them is different now, right? I don't obey my parents now as I obeyed my parents when I was 10 or 15. Um, I'm not called to that anymore, but I am to call it in this particular season to continue to honor them uh, as my parents and as the grandparents of my children. Now, we've talked about the narrow application, and I want to spend just a couple minutes maybe showing how this is the, the broad application of this applies in various forms of authority structures that the the sphere of the family, the authority structure of the family, father, mother, children, um, as I said, births other authority structures in the church. Uh, maybe birth is the wrong language, but it, it, it forms the basis of and shared language of authority structures in the church and in the state. So, uh, so that the principle here, uh, the narrow application is talking about children and parents, the broad application is those who are under authority and those who are exercising authority. So those who are under authority ought to honor those who are over them in authority, not as though they are superior humans, but that God has gifted and called certain individuals to exercise authority in places where other people aren't, right? You, uh, you probably aren't the mayor. You're probably not a senator or a congressman or a congresswoman or a governor or uh, the president, right? If, you, if any of you are listening, thank you for being here. But uh, the rest of us, we operate under the authority of others. And that, so that the principle, in principle, that this principle becomes the foundation for healthy society. Healthy society, healthy culture. Now, and I, there, are, there are ways of nuancing this, but I'm talking about core principle. Healthy culture, healthy society, healthy church, healthy government are based upon this principle of honoring and submitting to godly authority. 
that authority. So as we teach our children in the home to honor authority, to showcase this is what it means to be honorable, to live a life that uh, that is is, if you will, worthy of honor, worthy of being listened to and submitted to and followed and obeyed, all those sorts of things, that we are actually equipping them for life in the context of the covenant community of church and also for life in the context of government so that those who who are learning the principle of honoring your father and your mother are able to honor those who are um, over them in the Lord that Paul talks about in First Thessalonians who are leading them in the Lord, uh, that they're able to submit to oversight and they're able to submit both to pastors and elders and but also to the congregational votes, that we're able to honor authority and recognize that we are not our kings and queens, that we operate under authority, we operate under the authority of God, but he also gives sort of secondary delegated authority where in the context of the church, Uh, in different ways, right? The principle is there, but the application is different. Uh, It shows up in the church by honoring the the decisions in the Baptist church, the decisions of the congregation, uh, but also honoring the oversight of of the pastors uh, and the leadership of deacons and as they serve and other other decision-making apparatus, that that we honor these and listen and submit and obey. Uh, But because we have... And let me let me kind of make the, the the final move to the third sphere to the government, right? So that as I teach my children, honor authority. Uh, I'm not telling them to um, to be yellow bellied and fall over and not have a backbone, but I'm saying that you listen to godly authority. You listen to authority in the home. You listen to authority in the church, and you listen to authority in the government. Uh, and that so that this idea becomes the the found a foundational premise for living a loving life in the context of the three spheres these three spheres of family church and state or government uh, and so that loving our neighbor shows up in these ways um, as we teach our children and teach one another to honor authority but when we we do not invest that or do not shape our children in that way, then we leave them to rebel in the way of the fall. And so they become rebellious in the home, and then they become, if they even end up in the church, they become rebellious in the church. And if you've been in the church, you know, maybe you have some stories to tell. And then they become riotous and rebellious in the context of, uh, the, of, the, of culture and of society and of the government. Um, and that it, that everything begins to unwind because it unwound in the home. Um, hope that this is kind of quick, quick broad, broad strokes. Um, so possible exemptions. Maybe you're thinking, um, well, what if, uh, what if the authority over me is not godly? Right? What if the authority over me in the government or in the state or even elected officials are not godly? What if the government uh, of the local church is not godly? What if my parents aren't godly? Now, I think you would have to define what you mean by that. Uh, because there are things in the home where parents, if they are engaging in certain things, they are not utilizing the authority. or They're not exercising the authority delegated them from God. So parents, listen to me very quickly, uh, that the, the authority you have is given to you by God, and you will be held accountable for what you do with it by God. 
So if you're teaching your children to be uh, to be rebellious or to be idle, to be lazy, that you accept them, uh, you know, disobeying you, that and that you should also be training them up in the fear and, and admonition of the Lord. You should be raising them up in the Lord, and that if you don't do those things, you will be held accountable to God. Now, some things that if we forfeit parents, if if we do not exercise our authority in a godly way, and it, we are actually not promoting the flourishing of our children, there are some things that not only will you be held accountable to God for, but you ought to be held accountable in here and now, temporally. There should be temporal punishments for neglect, for abuse, for um, for uh, forms of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, uh, all those sorts of things. There, there, there are mechanisms in place. They're, they're not, they're imperfect as they be. There are mechanisms in place to hold the parents accountable now. Okay, so um, I'm not just saying, hey, if your 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 parents are physically abusing you, that you just roll over and you take it until you're 18, right? There, go get help. Now, if you're able, um, tell someone that you can get help. Okay, if your parents are sexually abusing you, tell someone that you can get help. That does not contravene this commandment, right? Your parents have contravened this commandment by not being honorable um, in that way. So the same, I think there are, there are principles also for how you deal with ungodly elders, ungodly pastors, or ungodliness in the congregation. And, the, and their scripture gives us hints, or gives us, uh, not more, it gives us commandments more than hints about that, in particularly first, uh, first and Second Timothy. Uh, and also the same could be said for government, right? If we have ungodly elected officials, the the best thing that we could do is to, um, and by ungodly, I, I don't just mean those who aren't Christians, right? But I mean those who are not exercising the authority given to them by God. They're not exercising it well for the common good, right? In each case, authority is given not for the sake of the one exercising the authority, but authority is given for the sake of those under authority, so that those, so that the father and mother are again, they're exercising their authority for the benefit of the children. Those who are in the authority within the church are exercising it for the sake of those under under their authority, so that pastors and elders are exercising their charge from God for the sake of the people of God. In the same way, elected officials in their various capacities from in America, from the president on, on down, uh, they are given their authority by God and they ought to exercise their authority for the good of those under their authority. So the mayor uh, of Elgin, a wonderful woman, uh, she exercises her authority as mayor for the sake of the residents of Elgin. That's just an illustration. The governor of South Carolina, he ought to exercise his authority for the common good of all of the people of South Carolina. The president of the United States ought to exercise his authority for the common good of all of the people of the United States. And so the best thing that when we have someone who is, and this is the beauty of America, right? This might, this would apply differently for um, people in other parts of the world and other governments but here uh, if we have someone who is who is exercising authority not for the common good of people um, because they they 
exercise that authority delegated from God, but they also exercise that authority as at the consent of the people, uh, the best thing we can do is elect them out of office and to elect someone who will, uh, or at least we hope, uh, will exercise that authority for the good of the people. Uh, so that authority is, and all of it, all of these different spheres, though it's it, it looks different, it operates different. Uh, it's always, it should always be uh, servant oriented. It should always be that it, it is exercised for the good of the other, and in that way, uh, it should be demonstrating the good news of Jesus. It should be teaching us how to love one another, that we we do so for the good of the other. And this is ultimately what the Lord Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, so this exercising authority and sitting under authority uh, illustrates that, that love for neighbor uh, that we see in Jesus, where he says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus' death was, re was redemptive. Our... Um, dying to ourselves, whether we are under authority or exercising authority, uh, demonstrates the redemptive call of love in these various spheres. So uh, maybe the, I hope there's a, a the point of a application there. I know there's a there are tall weeds here. There are lots of different possibilities, lots of different applications. Um, but I hope you hope you see that the family is foundational. Uh, it's foundational in God. Uh, God's economy for the world, it's foundational for our country, and it's so important that we uh, we seek to pray for families, we pray for marriages, that we seek to equip husbands and wives and fathers and mothers for the work that they have, for it sets the stage for the rest, for the other spheres in which we live, uh, so that we flourish and blossom into life that is truly life for the glory of God. Um, let me pray. Father, I pray that these words would be acceptable to you and useful uh, in the, your dealings with people. I pray that you would give us grace to love each other as honoring authority and exercising authority in godly ways. And would you be glorified in all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you. Grace and peace.